Hello and welcome to 10 Minute Treadmill Stories. Hi, I'm Stacy. I'm Jonah. You can always reach us at stacyandjonah at gmail.com. If you have a story you think we should know about, you email us just like Martha did. This is a listener suggestion. So thanks, Martha, for recommending I check out Henry Harry Burley. He is cited as the first black American composer to develop American classical music, as in the our own style, our country's own style of classical music, as well as being a very accomplished singer and arranger, and was also behind helping the creation of a new musical scale, which is Whoa. something that blows my mind. I'm so sorry. That is so incredible to me because... As people who have been in kind of the music business for so long, it's all been done before. So creating something new is so incredible to me. I will try to break it down to the best of my ability in about six minutes. Okay. If you want to scroll ahead, but don't. Let's start at the beginning. <laughs> okay. Uh, Harry Burley was born in December of 1866 in Erie, Pennsylvania. He is a descendant from slaves and being born in 1866, not that far of a descendant. His grandfather, in fact, was a slave and his grandfather bought his own freedom and that of his mother, who would be Burleigh's great-grandmother, in 1835 for $55 and then relocated to Ithaca, New York. Also gross. Burleigh's father, also gross. Burleigh's father was a Civil War veteran. His mother was a teacher. And speaking of gross, it should come as no surprise that even though slavery was over, racism was still prevalent, even in the North. And many stories, including the fact that Burleigh's mother was refused employment at a public school because of the color of her skin, are present throughout his family's history. Burleigh's grandfather, the one who bought his freedom, was known for his beautiful voice and passed down traditional spirituals and songs that he would sing as a slave to his grandsons and actually was the impetus of developing that musical scale I told you about earlier. Mm -hmm. Burleigh had talent as well, and even though as a young man he worked as a printer's assistant, a doorman, a gaslight lighter, he also began studying voice like actively with a teacher in high school and after high school. And by the time he was a young man, he was known as a premier vocal talent in the city of Erie. So he, as a young man, was hired as a soloist all over town or all over the cities, both for churches and synagogues and secular venues as well. So he was covering the gamut. I think that churches and synagogues wanted to welcome him in because he had a very strong tie to the spiritual and brought that with him throughout his entire life. And later in his life, he became a fixture in a very famous New York institution for that very same reason. More spoilers. Don't scroll. Dun, dun, dun. A good spoiler. He found success later in life. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> at age 26, Burley accepted a scholarship at the prestigious National Academy of Music. And as legend has it, he picked up a job cleaning the halls of the buildings to make extra money as a student and would sing the spirituals he had learned from his grandfather while he worked. And the legend continues that he was then overheard by none other than Antonin Dvorak. Wow. Now, Antonin Dvorak was a teacher there, but also very, very famous and was one of the first internationally famous modern composers in the world. And the music was so beautiful and so different. And Dvorak had never really heard that type of music, that kind of musicality, the scales used, the notes used, and it led him to proclaim, and I'm quoting, 
In the Negro Melodies of America, I discover all that is needed for a great and noble school of music. Now, a lot of black music is credited for inventing rock and roll. Blues was created in the South and that slowly transformed into rock and roll music. But this is the first time that I have heard that black music had inspired a creation of classical mm -hmm. music, which was very interesting to me. Yeah, that's the first I've heard of it too. So based on both the traditional spirituals that Dvorak heard Burleigh sing and also taking inspiration from the melodies of Native American music, Dvorak developed the pentatonic scale, if you've heard of it. I have heard of that. Now, I have come across a doctorate thesis that I made uh, my way about halfway through the first page, and they claim that maybe uh, the pentatonic scale was starting uh, to develop in Dvorak's head earlier, but I like this version better. Also, if you are a fan of acapella music, the pentatonics would not have their name without <laughs> this scale being developed. That's very true. So that was an accomplishment unto itself, but of course, Burleigh had personal accomplishments as well. As I mentioned, he was a very talented singer. He began his singing career, we're going to jump around a little bit, as the baritone in his family's quartet. But as I mentioned, as he grew older, he was singing in synagogues and churches and civic centers and all that kind of stuff. But it continued, and when he moved to New York, about nine months after moving to the city, he soon became a soloist at the St. George Episcopal Church in New York City. Wow. Now, I mentioned uh, that, believe it or not, race was still an issue in the 1800s in the North, and a lot of people actually were against hiring him to be the soloist because of his race. But it was also a, a, like a double standard because they didn't let black people come to worship at the church either so it was it was an all-white church that didn't allow black parishioners and they were against hiring the soloist gross mm -hmm. jp morgan of all people heard of him <laughs> yes was a member of the church and actually as as this history goes was the deciding vote to say yes we should bring on burlay and in fact, Burleigh was so successful at that church, he kept that position for 52 years and didn't retire until 1946. Wow. He began a tradition at that church of singing spirituals every May and also singing the palms by Jean-Baptiste Flaure. I don't know how to pronounce his last name, was a tradition on Palm Sunday that he partook in for 50 years. That was so popular that the mayor of New York City, Mr. LaGuardia, a few episodes ago, you asked me if I heard of President de Gaulle's airport in France. Well, I think you may have heard of Mayor LaGuardia's airport in New York. I sure have. I think I've flown from one to the other. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the mayor arranged to have a radio broadcast be piped in directly to his office in 1944 so he wouldn't miss it. Oh, that's really neat. And Berlay just went on to become more and more world-renowned. And I mean world-renowned because in 1908, he even sang before King Edward VII in London. Wow. And from 1900 to 1925, Berlay was also a member of the choir at Temple Emmanuel in New York. That's a synagogue, and he was the only African-American to be in that course. So he, again, was very strongly tied in his soul, it looks like, to spiritual music, but he kind of dipped his toes into singing all kinds. It seemed like he just wanted to celebrate the spiritual or celebrate God as a overarching 
concept. And I think that's a really cool thing to be able to share your gift with as many people as possible and in as many denominations as possible. Well, now I have to, I wonder if there are any recordings that I can find to listen to of him singing. I like, I can't wait to hear his voice. Remember the other week when you said that I always seem to anticipate the next thing you're going to say? Yes. (laughs) Well, unfortunately, Berlay hated recording. And for a long time, uh, people thought that there wasn't even a single recording of his performances. And as, as history is telling me, he recorded one time in 1919 and then one other time in 1944. And only today, the 1919 recording exists. So I I very much hope that you can find it. Uh, You can't find, nor can researchers find, the recording from 1944. So while he was so celebrated and taught such vocal phenoms as Paul Robeson, who you definitely can find recordings of, his voice is not really on record. Wow, that is fascinating. Simultaneously, by the way, and I have to wrap this up, I think, because... uh, we're definitely pressing the 10 minute time limit. Uh, He was arranging what they call art songs. Now art songs, I kind of had to figure this out, was almost like opera songs or arias. It was like songs not meant to be like pop music, but like usually it was a vocalist and just accompanied by a pianist. Beautiful. So he began doing that in the 1890s. And then in 1898, he began to compose music and just 12 years later, he had become one of America's best known composers of these art songs. So he was finding success in almost every facet of the musical genre in which he was entrenched. It's so great for these people who get all of the talent. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll do this and I'll do that. And Berlay's music was so good and so popular that it really helped Uh, create a big boost in popularity for his genre, especially in the 1920s. And he also set some Walt Whitman poems to music and published music for the piano and the violin and was very, very prolific. It's estimated that his composing, his composures, his pieces, his his art songs and compositions, uh, he put out about 300 of them, amazingly (laughs) enough. In 1917, Berlay received the Spingarn Medal, which is the NAACP's annual award for outstanding achievement. He also has honorary degrees from Atlanta University and Howard University. And Henry Harry Berlay died at the age of 82 in 1949. Wow. That is the brief and probably incomplete story of Harry Berlay. Fantastic. Thank you for sharing. 